let me introduce you to inspiring entrepreneurs. Hi there, my name is Ben Gothard. My mission is to interview incredible entrepreneurs who are changing the world and present their stories to you, unscripted and unedited. From billionaires to Forbes 30 under 30 recipients to New York Times best-selling authors and much, much more, these people are living proof that nothing is impossible. Join me on this journey to learn from their experiences and become the person you're meant to be. Welcome to the Project Egg Show every morning at 8 a.m. Central. Three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Project Egg Show. Today, we have the honor of speaking with Rajam Roos. After spending a few years vagabonding around the Americas, she settled into a 16-year-long occupation as a massage therapist. It was during these years that she became interested in pain research. When she realized that the current U.S. healthcare system was mostly based in outdated models of pain research, she founded the San Diego Pain Summit to provide a platform where clinicians could learn about current pain research and the applications in their practice. In addition, Rajam has been doing some other incredible things and has other very impressive accolades that I could not possibly encompass in this very brief introduction. So without further ado, please put your digital hands together for Rajam. How are you doing today? Good, good. How are you doing? I am doing great and hope to get better as time goes on. So thank you so much for uh <laughs> thank you so <laughs> much. For, thank you so much for coming on the interview. I really do appreciate your time. Um so let's get started. What is your story? So, um, yeah, like I said, I've, I've listened to some of your other interviews and I noticed, you know, that's a good question and it's a difficult one to answer a lot because, well, what part of my, you know, like how far back do you go? But anyway, um, all, all the way gosh. from the very beginning, just throwing that out there. Well, I was born. <laughs> Great first step. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, you know, I guess it probably started when I stopped traveling. I actually had stopped traveling because I wanted to buy a sailboat. And at the time, I was crocheting hats and bags and selling that for money, which when you're camping out, you don't need a lot of money. But I was like, oh, I'm going to have to get a job if I want a sailboat. So um, I decided to go to massage school because... I had met a massage therapist when I was traveling. Um, I had had a massage and I just thought it was wonderful and I thought I would be good at it. And I also thought that they made $60 an hour and worked 40 hours a week. <laughs> so I thought, wow, that's a way to make a lot of money. Um, but I just got, I just ended up enjoying being part of the profession. And then I met my husband and then, you know, so it's just kind of more from, from, there, but I, I love doing different things. And so when I had the idea, I had been studying pain research and pain science. And then I started organizing workshops. 
and then I had the idea for the conference and I thought, well, it can't be any different than organizing a workshop, just bigger. So then I closed my massage business so I could spend more time with that. But I also love doing search engine optimization and digital marketing uh, because I opened my massage business when the recession hit in San Diego. <laughs> so it was by learning digital marketing that my business was booked within a year and I just stayed busy. So now I'm taking what I've learned and try to help other small business owners, you know, learn how to create a, um, my mind just went blank <laughs> to learn how to, you know, create a, uh, web presence. So let's, I, I want to talk about that part of the story, but I don't want to skip this whole traveling era because that's very interesting to me and I, and I want to dig into that. When did you start traveling and where did you go and what happened during those times? Well, I, would, I actually went to college for a year and then because of grades, I got suspended. And then I was like, you know, I don't, I don't do well in a formal uh, school environment. And so I told my, my grandfather at the time was paying for college. And I said, you know, just don't worry about paying for any more college. And so I was cleaning, I was working at a warehouse and I thought to myself, oh my God, I'm gonna be doing this till I die. And it was just very scary. It was just a scary, like this boring life, getting up, going to work at the warehouse, coming home. You know, it just seemed so tedious. And then I met somebody who had, who he was a friend of one of my roommates and he came and stayed with us for like a week and he was hitchhiking around and traveling. And I, 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 you know, it took me a long time to figure out like, where did I get the idea to hitchhike? Because I wanted to do it when I was younger. And I think it's from watching the incredible Hulk. Cause you know, he hitchhikes to the next town. Do you, have you seen the, the original incredible Hulk? I have not, but now I'm definitely going to put that on the list of movies thinking, to watch. Because I, it took me a year. I was like, where did I get the idea to hitchhike? And, um, but at the end of each episode, he hitchhikes out of town, you know, to the next place. But, um, so yeah, so I basically gave away all my stuff. I left a note for my boyfriend on the pillow. And I actually had just planned to go for just during the summer because and I was 20 so I think it was in June and I just loved it and I was on the road for four and a half years and I went around the U.S. Uh, three or four times I hitchhiked a sailboat ride to the Bahamas I hitchhiked around like why well, me and a friend took a train to Mexico City and then hitchhiked down to Chiapas and then back up the west coast and I flew to Venezuela and hitchhiked around there in the mid nineties. Wow. How did, how did you like, how did you, I mean, I know this sounds a little ridiculous, but like, how did you stay alive? Like, how did you get food? <laughs> how did you get shelter? How did you like worry about the money situation? Like, how did you take into account all of these very necessary basic logistical issues? And you know, that's kind of this, how, so when I was 14, I was pretty rebellious. I wasn't a bad kid. I just hated school and I wanted to travel. And so I ran away from home a couple times and I got sent to this outdoor program 
where we lived in the woods for like, well, I was there for 18 months and we designed and built our own cabins. So there was no TV, no radio. So I think that kind of helped set me up the strength to to do what I did. And there's a lot of people traveling like that. Like we don't see it because we're at work or we're, you know, you know, we have our set <clears throat> rhythm that we do. And we don't, we're not necessarily out there in the world and seeing all the people that are traveling. So I was never really like alone or any of that stuff. So you learn some basic survival skills by being in the woods and building the cabin and surviving out there. But like when you, when you would travel, like how did you make sure you had a place to stay every day? Well, I was camping out a lot. So the first year I actually, I, I don't know if you've ever heard of rainbow gatherings. Mm -mm. So it's like, it's like a burning man festival, except it's free and it's out in the woods and there's no, you're not, you're not burning art and there's not alcohol really isn't permitted inside the gathering. So it's just like this big um, gathering and they have them, they have smaller ones each month of the year. And then they have the large national and then they have international ones. So I basically would hitchhike from gathering to gathering and follow the weather. So I did that the first year until I could feel confident of like traveling on my own. And uh, yeah. So, okay, so that took care of the shelters, mostly camping. Yeah, it was mostly camping. And sometimes I did have to, st I did get stuck in cities and I'd be in the city for a few, you know, days or whatever. And I've slept behind bushes. Um, the most unique place I've slept is like behind some bushes in somebody's front yard, like by their house. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know the people or you just yeah. kind of snuck in there? And no, I just like, yeah, just kind of snuck in under the bushes and <laughs> just like, I've slept beside the interstate a lot. Wow. <laughs> and not, not right next to it, but like, uh, you know, like 30 feet, 30 or 50 feet away. And how about the food situation? Like, how did you always make sure you had something to eat? You know, like I said, I had learned to uh, crochet, so I just made hats and sold them, and I would buy like a bag of beans or beans and rice, and then just haul it out to the woods with me and eat off that till it was gone. Wow, <laughs> that's awesome! It's actually, a book. It's on Amazon. It's called Travels with a Road Dog. And that was that's your book, right? Mm -hmm. Because I wanted to. I didn't really have any bad experiences. I mean, there were some dangerous situations that I was able to get out of before there was any problems. Um, and I wanted to show people that if you want to, the world is not a scary place. That was actually the best lesson that I learned because before I went traveling, I thought people were assholes. I thought that um, everyone was out to get you. You couldn't trust anybody. And then when I went out traveling, it was completely different. I mean, yes, there are people who are out to get you, but not that many. And most people just want to do the right thing. Everyone wants, you know, to have a good life. They want to have a job. They want to work. They want to support their family. So it really changed my, my attitude about the world. That's incredible. Now, 
when you were talking about those very few dangerous situations, Mm -hmm. that sounds like a heck of a story. And I would love to hear about those. (laughs) Well, the most dangerous place that I personally feel like I hitchhiked was through LA. And I actually, uh, it was before I got a dog because I had, I ended up getting a dog for a traveling companion and he lived to be 12. But um, I had not been to Los Angeles and I was with a friend who is from Compton. And so I was like, oh, well, here's my chance to visit LA because I'm with somebody who's from there. So I, I hitched down with him and uh, we stayed at his aunt's house in Compton for a few days. And then we went to at the time, it was a section of Hollywood Boulevard. And at this time, I think it's been gentrified now, but at the time it was a super dangerous place. But I was always, but I was, but he was my friend. So I felt like I would be okay. And I didn't know where to start. I just ramble sometimes. (laughs) So basically one day, I met this Egyptian guy and he was going to a drum circle that was happening in a nearby park. And he was like, Hey, you want to go to this drum circle with me? And I said, yeah. So we go to the drum circle and then he's like, I just want to tell you about that. Your friend that, that you spend time with on the street. He's like, he's made some people really upset. And if these people decide to take care of him and you happen to be standing nearby, it would be awful if something happened to you. And I was just like, okay. (laughs) Yikes. And so then I was like, okay, now I have to get out of LA. And I didn't, um, I didn't know how that would be because you have to walk out of the city or whatever. So, um, so then I was with my friend and some of his friends. And basically, if you hang out in this area, you get beat up. And that's like your, that's, um, that's like your pass. Or whatever like a rite of passage almost yeah and so i hadn't been beat up yet and so these girls were talking about um there was a big group of us and they were talking about we're gonna see a purple sunrise in the morning because it was in the evening it was pretty late in the evening and i just got this really sinking feeling in my stomach and i was like oh crap so i was like let me go to mcdonald's and get some coffee because <laughs> there's a mcdonald's like right down the street I said, I'll be right back. And I just started walking and it turned out that the Grateful Dead, which I'm not really a big fan of their music, they're not around anymore, but they were playing in a stadium downtown. And I knew that if I went there, I would find somebody that I had met before at a gathering or something. And then I can get a ride out. And I did, but I walked all day, took all day walking to get from where I was to the stadium. Wow. <laughs> that is incredible. That's probably the most dangerous. I say I think that's probably the most dangerous trouble I've I've almost been in. Wow. Okay, so let's fast forward. Yeah, now like twenty years ago. It's weird to talk about. Now you have a pain summit and you've studied this this field and you put on this event can you talk about like how you actually put on the first one i know you talked about how you had some workshops and then you're like okay well 
it can't be that much different, just bigger. Mm-hmm. Like what were some of the actionable things that you did in order to actually put on this event? What, uh, what gave me the idea? I feel like I can't hear myself. Uh, what gave me the idea was in one of the workshops that I had organized, it was during a break and the instructor was asking the students, um, are you guys learning any current pain research in physical therapy school? Cause it was mostly physical therapists in this workshop. And one of them said, um, yeah, we're learning about Patrick Wall and Lorimer Mosley. And these are researcher, you know, researchers in the, in the field, but we don't know what to do with the information. And I just had, when you hear about those light bulb moments, that was like the biggest light bulb moment I've ever had. In my life. <gasps> yeah. It was just like, I'm going to have a conference and I'm going to have this person, this person, this person. Like I knew exactly what I was going to have. And God, what was the first thing I did? Well, the first thing I had to do was get uh, a big name on board because I was kind of a nobody. Like I wasn't associated with um, a school or a company or anything like that. So I wrote uh, Lorimer Mosley, who's a really well-known pain researcher in Australia. And he was like, that's a fabulous idea. And so once he was on board, I knew everyone else that I wanted to bring on would say yes. And so, yeah, then it just kind of steamrolled from, I mean, each year I don't plan to have another one, but I keep having them. So, <laughs> <laughs> so okay. So you reached out to this rock star. Mm-hmm. What did that, I'm assuming it was through email. Yeah. I looked up his email address from his, uh, he's also a a professor. So what did you say in that email to convince this person to join (laughs) your cause? You know that, and that's funny too, just a little off the side. It's funny that question because I've gotten some other well-known people people to come speak. And everyone's always like, how do you get this person to come speak? And basically I just wrote them and I said, Hey, I'm familiar with uh, your work in this area. And I think I'm doing this event. I think you'd be a great fit. Would you like to come? That's it. Was it literally like that or just like those three or four lines Mm -hmm. and you didn't know them at all before then? No, now the the people that I asked to come, I usually know something about them. Like I've read their book or I've, you know, I'm already familiar with some of their work. And so I'm able to talk about how their work that I'm familiar with ties into the event. That's interesting. So you. I just under- gave away a big old secret right there. Because <laughs> so under- that's like a formula. Yeah. Well, that's what I, that's what I want to understand is like, what exactly does that formula look like? Because I feel like that is massively valuable for people who are trying to put on their own summit. Mm-hmm. Or trying to just reach out to somebody who might be very well known or, yeah, basically just um, how you're familiar with their work and what they do and how that work specifically will, you know, jive with the event that you're doing. That's cool. So you reached out to them and then they say yes. And then how do you, how do you manage from them saying yes to them actually speaking? What does that look like? A lot of work. 
because I organize the entire event myself. And so I, I run the website. I, you know, manage the registrations. Um, anything you can imagine that is involved with a conference, I do everything. The only thing that I don't do myself is during the week of, I have volunteers and they do like the check-in the, and they have duties that they do in exchange for being there. So what are those things though that... <laughs> like like what is the chronology there i know i'm digging but I, this is like serious me yeah because i wouldn't know where to start if you weren't trying to be specific uh so basically i i organize the volunteers into duties like um and i don't need a lot of volunteers it's a small event there's only about 160 the room only holds 160 people so i can manage like 200 maybe on my own I would like to grow the event, but I'll need to have a team to help me. But I have a, an event man, a volunteer manager who, who like oversees all the volunteers and her duty. So basically just registration, um, running the microphones for Q&A, making sure the stage is set up for each speaker, um, watching the live stream. So I live stream it every year. And so people can ask questions and participate. So I always have a volunteer managing that. What else? I think that's it really. How do you make sure that you are aggregating enough speakers in time to throw the summit? Because it seems like there's the whole summit side getting the people technical like logistics of pulling it off and then there's getting the speakers who are providing the content and getting enough high quality speakers to be there and like to to do their part in time and all this has to happen in a very condensed amount of time like how do you make sure that happens well i reached out to them about a year in advance because a lot of them have really busy schedules. And so um, I so I like to have it in the month of February because that's the slow tourist season for San Diego. So, that's the, so if you ever want to visit San Diego, the best, everything's cheaper in February because it's so slow. So the hotel that I, that I use, you know, in February, it might be $150 a night. And then by August, it's like up to 400, 500. So I chose the time of month specifically for, you know, that reason. And I want to make sure that the people I'd like to come speak can come during that month. So you, you booked them out a year in advance. Mm -hmm. How do you make sure that you keep them engaged to the point where they're willing to promote the event and help you drive traffic and, and fill the seats. Like if you book them a year out, 12 months is a long period of time. So they may forget, they may not be as fired up about it. Like how do you keep them engaged during that waiting time? Well, I send out emails probably once a month, just with like updates, um, you know, to get their, their titles or synopsis. Um, now, some of them are researchers, so they don't really promote. Like, it's, it's, tough, it's tough to get scientists to help promote and market, you know, your business. But um, some of the physical therapy speakers do. But I do a lot of, I, you know, I have a, a physical therapist love Twitter. 
So I'm on Twitter and I retweet a lot of stuff and I'm engaged. So basically the event actually grew all on social media because it's so much cheaper to advertise on Facebook and have create engagement on Twitter than other forms of advertising. That's incredible. So you're keeping them engaged with monthly emails. You pretty much know, okay, these people are probably going to help promote. They're going to probably help on social media. These people are probably not going to promote as much. Then do you have any sort of sponsors or like other people that are, that are engaged in a sponsorship type role? Actually, I don't get a lot of sponsors. And I think part of the reason is because the event is so small and it's also multidisciplinary. So we have physical therapists, massage therapists, chiropractors, personal trainers, but mostly physical therapists and, um, and people come from around the world. So, you know, I get a lot of Canadians, people come from the UK, people have come from South Korea, um, Finland, Denmark. So I think the audience is too, like, I'm not sure it's worth somebody's sponsorship, you know, to do the event when there's not a direct, like, what value would they get from it? And I also do not want to just accept sponsorship from anybody. So I want, I don't want people to learn about this information and then go out into the the hall and see things like, electric stem machines for sale and stuff that has no discernible value in helping people overcome their pain. That's interesting. And so it's all funded by people's registration fees. And when you are doing like the, the promotional aspect, you're engaging on social media you're, you're working Twitter and Facebook. Do you have like an, an email sequence or, or some sort of nurturing campaigns? Do you do automation, stuff like that? I need to be doing more than I am. <laughs> but it's just there's so much that I'm doing. So um, I do, you know, of course, I have an email list. I also have a, uh, all the videos are, rec- all the presentations are recorded. So I have a subscription site. Um, and then I'm pretty good. I'm really good at Facebook marketing. That's one of my, my skills. So, you know, with all of that, um, I haven't needed to automate much. I mean, there's some things I would like to, so when you have an event, there are, uh, platforms that will take care of, um, uh, evaluation forms, like all this stuff, but they're kind of pricey if you don't, you know, so I'll be happy for the day that I can afford one of those because, but right now I'm, you know, take doing all the registrations separately and um, you know, there's registration and then I get, uh, I get approval to give continuing education credits by different boards. And so I have to collect evaluations for each presenter, each workshop. Um, and then I have to, the worst part is after the event's over because I have to send out the certificates. And right now, because I can't afford like the automated platform, I do everything manually. So it's like delete, add the name, save the PDF, delete the name, add the name, save PDF. I mean, it's just, God, it takes me like a week. 
So that's my goal. So I I just have so many questions. This is such I know a the hard, well the hard part is like apparently there's trainings to become a an event organizer, but I didn't have any of that training. I've learned all of this stuff the hard way. I think I'm done learning, but I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Sometimes it'll be something will happen. I'll be like, oh God, I should have done it this way. And it kind of sucks because you learn the hard way. But the thing is, if you make a mistake, that's fine. The thing is that you learn from that mistake so you don't make that same mistake twice. That's an important thing. So when you are, when you're going through and you're doing these summits, what have been some of the biggest obstacles that you've run into? Uh, funding has been a big one because my event is more on the pricier side for similar type events because I don't have sponsorship and I'm not backed by a big educational program. So sometimes it's been a little tight making sure that I break even with, you know, all the things that go on. That's probably the biggest problem. I think that's probably the biggest and only one. It's incredible though, because you're putting in so much work and you're providing so much value and aggregating so many experts in one place. Like that is a ton of work. That is an exorbitant amount of work. But it gets spread out over a year too. So it actually doesn't feel like that much work until I'm talking to people like you and you're like, tell me how this, and I'm like, oh, wow, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. Um, But it doesn't feel like a lot because you know, it's kind of spread out through the year. And I'm also lucky that my, you know, my husband, he has a, you know, he's a professor. So he helps take care of the, I have the ability to have the time to do all of this. So, um, so that's really helpful. That's amazing. That really is amazing. So when you're looking five, 10, 20 years down the road, what do you see? Where, where do you want to take this? I'd actually like to um, sell it, hopefully, if I can, if I can get it to grow. So, you know, there's only so much I can handle myself. So if I want it to grow, I'm going to need to bring in a team. Um, And then of course, that's a matter of finding people who are as passionate about this as I am because it needs to be able to run on itself. Right. So I'd like it to grow and either become like a, uh, um, like a franchise type thing or just sell it outright or I don't know. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I don't, I, t- I don't usually have like plans out in the future because I feel like that, that can be limiting. So if, I mean, it's one thing to have like an end you, okay. So I'm planning out this event, this event's going to happen in the future. I want to make sure everything smoothly run smoothly so it culminates in that event but when it comes to just life in general I don't tend to plan out like that because I I want to always be open to whatever happens and not have to be I feel that way about business plans too like I know people I know a business plan is helpful it's a good idea to have one and you and you need one if you need to get a loan or something but I feel like it's restrictive because if something comes up 
that's new or different, or you need to go a different direction, it's easy to be like, oh crap, that's not my business plan. So I'm one of, you know, some people are for business plans and other people are not. And I'm one of the not. Which I don't know if I should be saying that live, but. (laughs) (laughs) That's the beauty of live, right? (laughs) Say whatever you want. Um, But it's always out there. That's very true. (laughs) it's very true double-edged sword um one of the one of the things that i find incredible is the the relationship building that went into everything that you're doing because you need relationships with the speakers you need relationships with the guests you need relationships with your volunteers you need to be comfortable with yourself to do all of this Mm -hmm. it's a lot of work um even if it is spread out over a 12 month period. And so what I'm interested in learning is your philosophy on developing deep, meaningful and genuine relationships and and connections with other human beings. I think it's something that I learned from my travels because one thing I learned is that people are pretty much the same everywhere. So it's the differences that I find interesting Um, and a lot of it is, you know, listening and seeing where somebody is, like, where are they coming from? And I was able to do that when I had my massage business. So if someone, if a client came in, I always try to match their personality a little bit to help them feel safe, you know? Um, it's funny because during the event itself, I'm pretty busy you know, running around and doing emails and everything. And this last year was the first year that I could afford to hire someone to manage the volunteers. And so she, she took a lot of load off me like during that week. And I didn't realize how much fun people were having at the event. And I do believe that if you're organizing an event, um, you set the mood for it. So if you're stressed out and people see you stressed out and you're running around, I think it makes other people stressed out to see you stressed out. So I try and, I try and give the, like, I try and look as calm as I can and and handle everything calmly and not snapping at people or, or, um, I'm, I'm very cognizant of that, of how, how I'm behaving because it's my event just kind of sets the tone. So anyway, um, my sound guy that I've developed a relationship with, um, that's been with me since 2015. He does a lot of events around the country. And he said that my event, he's never seen so many people happy to be at a conference. And he does like really big corporate events. And he said that, um, he said most conferences, like he's like, everyone shows up at your event early and the room is still filled by the end of the day. Cause they're long days, you know? Um, but I thought maybe he was exaggerating. And then when I had uh, my friend uh, do the managing um, and I went out and I got to speak to people, you know, during lunch break and ask them if they're enjoying it. And people were just having so much fun. And I was like, wow. All right. That must be so meaningful to, to see the, the fruits of your hard labor in real people you know, showing, showing this, that, that must be so rewarding. Yeah. Because I, I mean, I know that it's helping. 
Um, it's already inspired a couple other similar conferences around the US. Um, it's inspired a Facebook group that has over 22,000 members. It's inspired two other Facebook groups that have like 10,000 members. So I know that people are getting a lot of value from it, but this la it wasn't until this last one that I could like feel and experience the joy that people had about being there and being in their community. And it was just, God, just made my heart swell up. <laughs> Well, I'm uh, I'm glad I'm glad you decided to share that because that that's uh, it seems like a very meaningful experience and um, I love that I love that um, I have a question for you big surprise that I have another question <laughs> uh, <laughs> I want to know what is your greatest theory theory mm-hmm like what do you mean like whatever, whatever comes to mind first. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know how to answer that. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll give you an example. My theory on, you know, the, the purpose of life is that we are all on a journey of self-discovery. And I feel like my purpose is to embark on that journey as wholly and completely as I possibly can in order to truly get in touch with who I am at my core as deeply and as, and as genuinely as possible. So that is, that's my theory. I see what you mean. So you mean like a standard of what you, of what I think about life in general, kind of. Sure. Yeah. I think it's funny. Um, I guess my theory is that I don't, I don't really understand the question, why am I here? I think it's more, I think the real question is, what am I going to do with my time while I'm here? So, I mean, I, we have this one life. So what are you going to do? So I guess that's my theory. Is there anything about yourself that you think is an important part of who you are that I did not ask you about today. In other words, what did I miss? <laughs> um, no, I don't think so. <laughs> You're like, that's not the answer I was looking for. <laughs> I, like, I feel like I'm multifaceted, like a diamond. So I feel... There's so many different ways that that I can that I view parts of my life through different lenses. So I can't just say one. But I, you know, pretty much every day I wake up is like a new day, you know, to be here. And um, I do try not to get stuck into like. Um, always doing the same thing. I like doing new experiences. Sometimes I'll do something, even if I never think I would like it just to have a different experience. So like, for, as an example, I can't think of anything specifically, but say you really like country music and you're like, Hey, I have these extra ticket to country music show. Will you go with me? I'm not really a big fan of country music, but I would do it just because that's, 
an experience that I've not had before. And so, yeah. I'm 24. The reason I say that is because it's relevant to the question. Um, (laughs) But what question should I be asking you, specifically me asking specifically you, that I just wouldn't think to ask? That's a good question. I don't know. Because I, something else, too, is that I don't. Um, I- Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Project Egg Show. Today, we have the honor of speaking with Rajam Roos. After spending a few years vagabonding around the Americas, she settled into a 16-year-long occupation as a massage therapist. It was during these years that she became interested in pain research. When she realized that the current U.S. healthcare system was mostly based in outdated models of pain research, she founded the San Diego Pain Summit to provide a platform where clinicians could learn about current pain research and the applications in their practice. In addition, Rajam has been doing some other incredible things and has other very impressive accolades that I could not possibly encompass in this very brief introduction. So without further ado, please put your digital hands together for a jam. How are you doing today? Good, good. How are you doing? I am doing great and hope to get better as time goes on. So thank you so much for, uh, <laughs> thank you so <laughs> much. For, thank you so much for coming on the interview. I really do appreciate your time. Um, so let's get started. What is your story? So, um, yeah, like I said, I've, I've listened to some of your other interviews and I noticed, you know, that's a good question and it's a difficult one to answer a lot because, well, what part of my, you know, like how far back do you go? But anyway, um, all, all the way from the very beginning, just throwing that out there. (laughs) Well, I was born. (laughs) Great first step. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, you know, I guess it probably started when I stopped traveling. I actually had stopped traveling because I wanted to buy a sailboat. And at the time I was crocheting hats and bags and selling that for money, which when you're camping out, you don't need a lot of money. But I was like, oh, I'm going to have to get a job if I want a sailboat. So um, I decided to go to massage school because I had met a massage therapist when I was traveling. Um, I had had a massage and I just thought it was wonderful and I thought I would be good at it. And I also thought that they made $60 an hour and worked 40 hours a week. <laughs> so I thought, wow, that's a way to make a lot of money. Um, but I just got, I just ended up enjoying being part of the profession. And then I met my husband and then, you know, so it's just kind of more from, from there, but I, I love doing different things. And so when I had the idea, I had been studying pain research and pain science, and then I started organizing workshops. And then I had the idea for the conference and I thought, well, it can't be any different than organizing a workshop, just bigger. So then I closed my massage business. I could spend more time with that, but I also love doing search engine optimization 
and digital marketing uh, because I opened my massage business when the recession hit in San Diego. <laughs> so it was by learning digital marketing that my business was booked within a year and I just stayed busy. So now I'm taking what I've learned and try to help other small business owners, you know, learn how to create a, um, my mind just went blank <laughs> to learn how to, you know, create a, uh, web presence. So let's, I, I want to talk about that part of the story, but I don't want to skip this whole traveling era because that's very interesting to me and I, and I want to dig into that. When did you start traveling and where did you go and what happened during those times? Well, I, would, I actually went to college for a year and then because of grades, I got suspended. And then I was like, you know, I don't, I don't do well in a formal uh, school environment. And so I told my, my grandfather at the time was paying for college. And I said, you know, just don't worry about paying for any more college. And so I was cleaning, I was working at a warehouse and I thought to myself, oh my God, I'm gonna be doing this till I die. And it was just very scary. It was just a scary, like this boring life, getting up, going to work at the warehouse, coming home. You know, it just seemed so tedious. And then I met somebody who had, who he was a friend of one of my roommates and he came and stayed with us for like a week and he was hitchhiking around and traveling. And I, 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 you know, it took me a long time to figure out like, where did I get the idea to hitchhike? Because I wanted to do it when I was younger. And I think it's from watching the incredible Hulk. Cause you know, he hitchhikes to the next town. Do you, have you seen the, the original incredible Hulk? I have not, but now I'm definitely going to put that on the list of movies to watch. Because it took me a year. I was like, where did I get the idea to hitchhike? And um, But at the end of each episode, he hitchhikes out of town, you know, to the next place. But um, like we tend to view things through our life experiences. And so if I... I mean, I could easily, there's there's something I wanted to brag about or talk about. I could make something up, but really, I just don't know. Well, I appreciate <laughs> the honesty. <laughs> but I mean, I, that's a good opportunity for if I was very excited about something that we hadn't talked about yet, I could bring that up, but I don't think so. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on the interview today and for sharing this time with me. It's been very special and uh, I'm very appreciative. Yeah, well, thanks for um, asking to, to do the interview because, you know, we love talking about ourselves and what we do, so it's perfect. <laughs> well, thank you again. And to everybody who's listening, watching, I want to thank you all very, very much. I love you. I do. Uh, from the bottom of my heart, I'm very appreciative and grateful uh, for your support and, and for sticking with us all the way till the end. Um, y'all rock. So thank you very much. And I will see you on the next episode. So, yeah, so I basically gave away all my stuff. I left a note for my boyfriend on the pillow. And I actually had just planned to go for just during the summer. Cause it, and I was 20. So I think it was in June and I just loved it. And I was on the road for four and a half years.
and I went around the U.S. Uh, three or four times. I hitchhiked a sailboat ride to the Bahamas. I hitchhiked around, make, like, why well, me and a friend took a train to Mexico City and then hitchhiked down to Chiapas and then back up the West Coast. And I flew to Venezuela and hitchhiked around there in the mid-90s. Wow. How did, how did you, like, how did you... St- I mean, I know this sounds a little ridiculous, but like, how did you stay alive? Like, how did you get food? How did you get shelter? How did you like worry about the money situation? Like, how did you take into account all of these very necessary basic logistical issues? And, you know, that's kind of this how. So when I was 14, I was pretty rebellious. I wasn't a bad kid. I just hated school and I wanted to travel. And so I ran away from home a couple times and I got sent to this outdoor program where we lived in the woods for like, well, I was there for 18 months and we designed and built our own cabins. So there was no TV, no radio. So I think that kind of helped set me up the strength to, to do what I did. And there's a lot of people traveling like that. Like we don't see it because we're at work or we're, you know, you know, we have our set rhythm that we do. We don't, we're not necessarily out there in the world and seeing all the people that are traveling. So I was never really like alone or any of that stuff. So you learn some basic survival skills by being in the woods and building the cabin and surviving out there. But like when you, when you would travel, like how did you make sure you had a place to stay every day? Well, I was camping out a lot. So the first year I actually, I, I don't know if you've ever heard of rainbow gatherings. Mm -mm. So it's like, it's like a burning man festival, except it's free and it's out in the woods and there's no, you're not, you're not burning art and there's not alcohol really isn't permitted inside the gathering. So it's just like this big um, gathering and they have them they have smaller ones each month of the year and then they have the large national and then they have international ones. So I basically would hitchhike from gathering to gathering and follow the weather. So I did that the first year until I could feel confident of like traveling on my own. And, uh, yeah. So, okay. So that took care (laughs) of the shelters, mostly camping. Yeah, it was mostly camping. And sometimes I did have to, I did get stuck in cities and I'd be in the city for a few you know, days or whatever. And I've slept behind bushes. Um, the most unique place I've slept is like behind some bushes in somebody's front yard, like by their house. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know the people or you just yeah. kind of snuck in there? And <laughs> no, I just like, yeah, just kind of snuck in under the bushes and <laughs> just like, <laughs> I've slept beside the interstate a lot wow <laughs> and not, not right next to it but like uh you know like 30 feet 30 or 50 feet away and how about the food situation like how did you always make sure you had something to eat you know what like i said i had learned to uh crochet so i just made hats and sold them and i would buy like a bag of beans or beans and rice and then just haul it out to the woods with me and eat off that till it was gone wow that's awesome. It's actually a book. It's on Amazon. It's called Travels with a Road Dog. And that was 
that's your book, right? Mm-hmm. Because I wanted to, I didn't really have any bad experiences. I mean, there were some dangerous situations that I was able to get out of before there was any problems. Um, and I wanted to show people that if you want it, the world is not a scary place. That was actually the best lesson that I learned because before I went traveling, I thought people were assholes. I thought that um, everyone was out to get you. You couldn't trust anybody. And then when I went out traveling, it was completely different. I mean, yes, there are people who are out to get you, but not that many. And most people just want to do the right thing. Everyone wants, you know, to have a good life. They want to have a job. They want to work. They want to support their family. So it really changed my, my attitude about the world. That's incredible. Now, when you were talking about those very few dangerous situations, Mm -hmm. that sounds like a heck of a story. And I would love to hear about those. (laughs) Well, the most dangerous place that I personally feel like I hitchhiked was through LA. And I actually, uh, it was before I got a dog because I had, I ended up getting a dog for a traveling companion and he lived to be 12. But, um, I had not been to Los Angeles and I was with a friend who is from Compton. And so I was like, oh, well, here's my chance to visit LA because I'm with somebody who's from there. So I, I hitched down with him and uh, we stayed at his aunt's house in Compton for a few days. And then we went to, at the time, it was a section of Hollywood Boulevard. And at this time, I think it's been gentrified now, but at the time it was a super dangerous place. But I was always, but I was, but he was my friend. So I felt like I would be okay. And I didn't know where to start. I just ramble sometimes. (laughs) So basically one day um, I met this Egyptian guy and he was going to a drum circle that was happening in a nearby park. And he was like, Hey, you want to go to this drum circle with me? And I said, yeah. So we go to the drum circle and then he's like, I just want to tell you about that. Your friend that, that you spend time with on the street. He's like, he's made some people really upset. And if these people decide to take care of him and you happen to be standing nearby, it would be awful if something happened to you. And I was just like, okay. (laughs) Yikes. And so then I was like, okay, now I have to get out of LA. And I didn't, um, I didn't know how that would be because you have to walk out of the city or whatever. So, um, so then I was with my friend and some of his friends. And basically, if you hang out in this area, you get beat up. And that's like your, that's, um, that's like your pass or whatever. Like and a rite I, of passage almost. Yeah. And so I hadn't been beat up yet. And so these girls were talking about, um, there was a big group of us and they were talking about, we're going to see a purple sunrise in the morning because it was in the evening. It was pretty late evening. And I just got this really sinking feeling in my stomach and I was like, oh crap. So I was like, let me go to McDonald's and get some coffee (laughs) because there's a McDonald's like right down the street. I said, I'll be right back. And I just started walking and it turned out that the Grateful Dead, which I'm not really a big fan of their music. They're not around anymore, but they were playing in a stadium 
downtown and I knew that if I went there, I would find somebody I, that I had met before at a gathering or something, and then I can get a ride out. And I did, but I walked all day, it took all day walking to get from where I was to the stadium. Wow. <laughs> that is incredible. That's probably the most dangerous. I say, I think that's probably the most dangerous trouble I've, I've almost been in. Wow. Okay. So let's fast forward. Yeah, now, like 20 years ago, it's weird to talk about. Now you have a pain summit and you've studied this, this field and you put on this event. Can you talk about like how you actually put on the first one. I know you talked about how you had some workshops and then you're like, okay, well it can't be that much different, just bigger. Mm -hmm. Like what were some of the actionable things that you did in order to actually put on this event? Well, what, uh, what gave me the idea? I feel like I can't hear myself. Uh, what gave me the idea was in one of the workshops that I had organized, it was during a break and the instructor was asking the students, um, are you guys learning any current pain research in physical therapy school? Cause it was mostly physical therapists in this workshop. And one of them said, um, yeah, we're learning about Patrick wall and Lorimer Mosley. And these are researcher, you know, researchers in the, in the field, but we don't know what to do with the information. And I just had, when you hear about those light bulb moments, that was like the biggest light bulb moment I've ever had. In my life. <gasps> yeah. It was just like, I'm gonna have a conference and I'm gonna have this person, this person, this person. Like I knew exactly what I was gonna have. And God, what was the first thing I did? Well, the first thing I had to do was get uh, a big name on board because I was kind of a nobody. Like I wasn't associated with um, a school or a company or anything like that. So I wrote uh, Lorimer Mosley, who's a really well-known pain researcher in Australia. And he was like, that's a fabulous idea. And so once he was on board, I knew everyone else that I wanted to bring on would say yes. And so, yeah, then it just kind of steamrolled from, I mean, each year I don't plan to have another one, but I keep having them. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So you reached out to this rock star. Mm -hmm. what did that I'm assuming it was through email yeah I looked up his email address from his uh he's also a, a professor <clears throat> so what did you say in that email to convince this person to join <laughs> your cause you know that and that's funny too just a little off the side it's funny that question because I've gotten some other well-known people people to come speak and everyone's always like how do you get this person to come speak and basically I just wrote them and I said hey I'm familiar with uh, your work in this area and I think I'm doing this event I think you'd be a great fit would you like to come that's it was it literally like that or yeah. just like those three or four lines mm -hmm. and you didn't know them at all before then no, now the the people that I asked to come, I usually know something about them. Like I've read their book or I've 
you know, I'm already familiar with some of their work. And so I'm able to talk about how their work that I'm familiar with ties into the event. That's interesting. So you, I just underst- gave away a big old secret right there. <laughs> so you Cause it's underst- like a formula. Yeah. Well, that's what I, that's what I want to understand is like, what exactly does that formula look like? Cause I feel like that is massively valuable for people who are trying to put on their own summit mm-hmm. or trying to just reach out to somebody who might be very well known or yeah, basically just um, how you're familiar with their work and what they do and how that work specifically will, you know, jive with the event that you're doing. That's cool. So you reached out to them and then they say yes. And then how do you, how do you manage from them saying yes to them actually speaking? What does that look like? A lot of work. <laughs> Cause I organize the entire event myself. And so I, I run the website. I, you know, manage the registrations. Um, anything you can imagine that is involved with a conference, I do everything. The only thing that I don't do myself is during the week of, I have volunteers and they do like the check-in, the, and they have duties that they do in exchange for being there. So what are those things though that <laughs> like, like what is the chronology there? I know I'm digging, but I, this is like serious me. Yeah. Because I wouldn't know where to start if you weren't trying to be specific. Uh, so basically I, I organize the volunteers into duties like, um, and I don't need a lot of volunteers. It's a small event. There's only about 160. The room only holds 160 people. So I can manage like 200 maybe on my own. I would like to grow the event, but I'll need to have a team to help me. But I have a, an event man, a volunteer manager who, who like oversees all the volunteers and her duty. So basically just registration, um, running the microphones for Q&A, making sure the stage is set up for each speaker, Um, watching the live stream. So I live stream it every year. And so people can ask questions and participate. So I always have a volunteer managing that. What else? I think that's it, really. How do you make sure that you are aggregating enough speakers in time to throw the summit because it seems like there's the whole summit side getting the people technical like logistics of pulling it off and then there's getting the speakers who are providing the content and getting enough high quality speakers to be there and like to to do their part in time and all this has to happen in a very condensed amount of time Like, how do you make sure that happens? Well, I reached out to them about a year in advance because a lot of them have really busy schedules. And so um, I, so I like to have it in the month of February because that's the slow tourist season for San Diego. So so if you ever want to visit San Diego, the best, everything's cheaper in February because it's so slow. So the hotel that I, that I use you know, in February, it might be $150 a night. And then by August, it's like up to 400, 500. So 
I chose the time of month specifically for, you know, that reason. And I want to make sure that the people I'd like to come speak can come during that month. So you, you booked them out a year in advance. Mm-hmm. How do you make sure that you keep them engaged to the point where they're willing to promote the event and help you drive traffic and, and fill the seats? Like if you book them a year out, 12 months is a long period of time. So they may forget, they may not be as fired up about it. Like how do you keep them engaged during that waiting time? Well, I send out emails probably once a month just with like updates, um, you know, to get their their titles or synopsis. Um, now, some of them are researchers, so they don't really promote like it's it's tough. It's tough to get scientists to help promote and market, you know, your business. But um, some of the physical therapy speakers do. But I do a lot of I, you know, I have a, a physical therapist love Twitter. So I'm on Twitter and I retweet a lot of stuff and I'm engaged. So basically the event actually grew all on social media because it's so much cheaper to advertise on Facebook and have create engagement on Twitter than other forms of advertising. That's incredible. So you're keeping them engaged with monthly emails. You pretty much know, okay, these people are probably going to help promote they're going to probably help on social media. These people are probably not going to promote as much. Then do you have any sort of sponsors or like other people that are, that are engaged in a sponsorship type role? Actually, I don't get a lot of sponsors. And I think part of the reason is because the event is so small and it's also multidisciplinary. So we have physical therapists, massage therapists, chiropractors, personal trainers, but mostly physical therapists and, um, and people come from around the world. So, you know, I get a lot of Canadians, people come from the UK, people have come from South Korea, um, Finland, Denmark. So I think the audience is too, like, I'm not sure it's worth somebody's sponsorship, you know, to do the event when there's not a direct, like, what value would they get from it? And I also do not want to just accept sponsorship from anybody. So I want, I don't want people to learn about this information and then go out into the the hall and see things like, electric stem machines for sale and stuff that has no discernible value in helping people overcome their pain. That's interesting. And so it's all funded by people's registration fees. And when you are doing like the, the promotional aspect, you're engaging on social media your, your work in Twitter and Facebook, do you have like an, an email sequence or, or some sort of nurturing campaigns? So you do automation, stuff like that? I need to be doing more than I am, <laughs> but it's just, there's so much that I'm doing. So um, I do, you know, of course I have an email list. I also have a, uh, all the videos are, rec- all the presentations are recorded. So I have a subscription site, Um, and then I'm pretty good. I'm really good at Facebook marketing. That's one of my, my skills. So, 
you know, with all of that, um, haven't needed to automate much. I mean, there's some things I would like to. So when you have an event, there are uh, platforms that will take care of um, uh, evaluation forms, like all this stuff, but they're kind of pricey if you don't, you know, so I'll be happy for the day that I can afford one of those. Cause, but right now I'm, you know, take doing all the registration separately and, um, you know, there's registration and then I get, uh, I get approval to give continuing education credits by different boards. And so I have to collect evaluations for each presenter, each workshop. Um, and then I have to, the worst part is after the events over because I have to send out the certificates. And right now, because I can't afford like the automated platform, I do everything manually. So it's like, delete, add the name, save the PDF, delete the name, add the name, save PDF. I mean, it's just, God, it takes me like a week. So that's my goal. So I, I just have so many questions. This is such I know a the hard, fascinating- Well, the hard part is like, apparently there's trainings to become a, an event organizer, but I didn't have any of that training. I've learned all of this stuff the hard way. I think I'm done learning, but I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Sometimes it'll be, something will happen. I'll be like, oh, God, I should have done it this way. And it kind of sucks because you learn the hard way. But the thing is, if you make a mistake, that's fine. The thing is that you learn from that mistake so you don't make that same mistake twice. That's Absolutely. an important thing. So when you are, when you're going through and you're doing these summits, what have been some of the biggest obstacles that you've run into? Uh, Funding has been a big one because my event is more on the pricier side for similar type events because I don't have sponsorship and I'm not backed by a big educational program. So sometimes it's been a little tight making sure that I break even with, you know, all the things that go on. That's probably the biggest problem. I think that's probably the biggest and only one. It's incredible though, because you're putting in so much work and you're providing so much value and aggregating so many experts in one place. Like that is a ton of work. That is an exorbitant amount of work but it gets spread out over a year too. So it actually doesn't feel like that much work until I'm talking to people like you and you're like, tell me how this, and I'm like, oh, wow, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. Um, but it doesn't feel like a lot because, you know, it's kind of spread out through the year. And I'm also lucky that my, you know, my husband, he has a, you know, he's a professor. So he helps take care of the, I have the ability to have the time to do all of this. So, um, so that's really helpful. That's amazing. That really is amazing. So when you're looking five, 10, 20 years down the road, what do you see? Where, where do you want to take this? I'd actually like to um, sell it. Hopefully. If I can, if I can get it to grow. So, you know, there's only so much I can handle myself. So if I want it to grow, I'm going to need to bring in a team. 
Um, and then of course that's a matter of finding people who are as passionate about this as I am because it needs to be able to run on itself. Right. So I'd like it to grow and either become like a, uh, um, like a franchise type thing or just sell it outright or I don't know. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I don't, I, t I don't usually have like plans out in the future because I feel like that, that can be limiting. So if, I mean, it's one thing to have like an end you, okay. So I'm planning out this event, this event's going to happen in the future. I want to make sure everything smoothly runs smoothly. So it, it culminates in that event. But when it comes to just life in general, I don't tend to plan out like that because I, I want to always be open to whatever happens and not have to be, I feel that way about business plans too. Like I know people, I know a business plan is helpful. It's a good idea to have one and you, and you need one if you need to get a loan or something. But I feel like it's restrictive because if something comes up that's new or different or you need to go a different direction, it's easy to be like, oh crap, that's not my business plan. So I'm one of, you know, some people are for business plans and other people are not. And I'm one of the not, it's which I don't know if I should be saying that live, but <laughs> <laughs> that's the beauty of live, right? <laughs> Say whatever you want. Um, but it's always out there. <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> it's very true. Double-edged sword. Um, one of the, one of the things that I find incredible is the the relationship building that went into everything that you're doing because you need relationships with the speakers you need relationships with the guests you need relationships with your volunteers you need to be comfortable with yourself to do all of this mm -hmm. so it's a lot of work um, even if it is spread out over a 12-month period and so what I'm interested in learning is your philosophy on developing deep meaningful and genuine relationships and, and connections with other human beings? I think it's something that I learned from my travels. Cause one thing I learned is that people are pretty much the same everywhere. So it's the differences that I find interesting. Um, and a lot of it is, you know, listening and seeing where somebody is, like, where are they coming from? And I was able to do that when I had my massage business. So if someone, if a client came in, I always try to match their personality a little bit to help them feel safe, you know? Um, it's funny because during the event itself, I'm pretty busy, you know, running around and doing emails and everything. And this last year was the first year that I could afford to hire and someone to manage the volunteers. And so she, she took a lot of load off me like during that week. And I didn't realize how much fun people were having at the event. And I do believe that if you're organizing an event, um, you set the mood for it. So if you're stressed out and people see you stressed out and you're running around, I think it makes other people stressed out to see you stressed out. So I try and, I try and give the, like I try and look as calm as I can and handle everything calmly and not snapping at people or, or um, I'm, I'm very cognizant of that, of how, how I'm behaving because it's my event just kind of sets the tone. 
So anyway, um, my sound guy that I've developed a relationship with um, that's been with me since 2015, he does a lot of events around the country. And he said that my event, he's never seen so many people happy to be at a conference. And he does like really big corporate events. And he said that, um, he said most conferences, like, he's like, everyone shows up at your event early and the room is still filled by the end of the day because they're long days, you know? Um, but I thought maybe he was exaggerating. And then when I had uh, my friend uh, do the managing um, and I went out and I got to speak to people, you know, during lunch break and ask them if they're enjoying it. And people were just having so much fun. And I was like, wow, all right. That must be so meaningful to, to see the, the fruits of your hard labor in real people, you know, showing, showing this, that, that must be so rewarding. Yeah. Because I, I mean, I know that it's helping. Um, it's already inspired a couple other similar conferences around the U S um, it's inspired a Facebook group that has over 22,000 members. It's inspired two other Facebook groups that have like 10,000 members. So I know that people are getting a lot of value from it, but this la it wasn't until this last one that I could like feel and experience the joy that people had about being there and being in their community. And it was just, God, just made my heart swell up. <laughs> Well, I'm uh, I'm glad I'm glad you decided to share that because that that's uh, it seems like a very meaningful experience and um, I love that I love that um, I have a question for you big surprise that I have another question <laughs> uh, <laughs> I want to know what is your greatest theory theory mm-hmm like what do you mean like whatever, whatever comes to mind first. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know how to answer that. Okay, well, I'll, I'll give you an example. My theory on, you know, the, the purpose of life is that we are all on a journey of self-discovery. And I feel like my purpose is to embark on that journey as wholly and completely as I possibly can in order to truly get in touch with who I am at my core as deeply and as, and as genuinely as possible. So that is, that's my theory. I see what you mean. So you mean like a standard of what you, of what I think about life in general, kind of. Sure. Yeah. I think it's funny. Um, I guess my theory is that I don't, I don't really understand the question, why am I here? I think it's more, I think the real question is, what am I going to do with my time while I'm here? So, I mean, I, we have this one life, so what are you going to do? So I guess that's my theory. Is there anything about yourself that you think is an important part of who you are that I did not ask you about today. In other words, what did I miss? <laughs> um, no, I don't think so. 
<laughs> You're like, that's not the answer I was looking for. <laughs> I feel like I feel like I'm multifaceted, like a diamond. So I feel there's so many different ways that that I can that I view parts of my life through different lenses. So I can't just say one, but I, you know, pretty much every day I wake up is like a new day, you know, to be here. And um, I do try not to get stuck into like um, always doing the same thing. I like doing new experiences. Sometimes I'll do something, even if I never think I would like it just to have a different experience. So like, as an example, I can't think of anything specifically, but say you really like country music and you're like, hey, I have these extra ticket to country music show where you go with me. I'm not really a big fan of country music, but I would do it just because that's an experience that I've not had before. And so, yeah. I'm 24. The reason I say that is because it's relevant to the question. Um, but what question should I be asking you, specifically me asking specifically you, that I just wouldn't think to ask? That's a good question. I don't know. Because I, something else too is that I don't, um, I don't like we tend to view things through our life experiences, and so if I, I mean I could easily there's there's something I wanted to brag about or talk about I could make something up, but really I just don't know. Well, I appreciate <laughs> the honesty. <laughs> but I mean, I that's a good opportunity for if I was very excited about something that we hadn't talked about yet, I could bring that up, but I don't think so. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on the interview today and for sharing this time with me. It's been very special and uh, I'm very appreciative. Yeah. Well, thanks for um, asking to, to do the interview because, you know, we love talking about ourselves and what we do. So it's perfect. Well, thank you again. And to everybody who's listening, watching, I want to thank you all very, very much. I love you. I do. Uh, from the bottom of my heart, I'm very appreciative and grateful uh, for your support and, and for sticking with us all the way till the end. Um, y'all rock. So thank you very much. And I will see you on the next episode.